The following message is from Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found at emmanuelcommunity.org. Happy Easter, everyone. Um, my name is Steve. I am the lead pastor here at ICC. If you're visiting here today for your first time, and uh, I normally go about half hour, 40 minutes on my sermon, but today is going to be much shorter because the real highlight of our service today is not really focusing on the message today as much as it is in the testimonies that we're going to hear in just a little bit and the baptisms that we're going to witness as five of our members are baptized on this Easter morning. And so we think that's going to be an awesome thing that we're going to all share in together. Uh, for the past few weeks, though, we've been going through these I am statements of Jesus that are recorded in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And of all of these statements, maybe the boldest, most important one is this last one. I am the resurrection and the life. And what we've been unpacking through each of these messages during this Lent season is that Jesus basically takes a belief about God found in the Bible and then he applies it to himself and he says, I am the fulfillment of that truth. And so what Jesus says is that pillar of fire that was in the wilderness and that fire that was in the temple and in the tabernacle, I was that fire and I am that light. And he says also that manna, that bread from heaven, that fed the Israelites in the wilderness those 40 years, I am that bread from heaven. And then he says that the good shepherd that the prophets talked about and that David and other psalmists sang about, I am that good shepherd. Well, you know, the Jews also believed in a resurrection. They believed that in the last day that God would cause all those who are his to rise from the dead in that final day. And Jesus takes that belief in the resurrection and he tells them, I am that resurrection. I am the life that all of you want. And it is found in me and me alone. And exactly what does that mean? Well, as we saw with the previous I am statements, in order to understand what each of these statements mean, we have to know the story that surrounds that statement. And so when Jesus says he is the light of the world, he made that statement in what was known as the festival of booths. When on that day, they would light these great lamps. It was called the illumination of the temple. And it was symbolic of that pillar of fire in the wilderness or the glory of God in the temple. And basically, Jesus says, I am that glory of God that fills the temple. I am that guiding light that shows my presence with my people. And then if you look in John chapter 6, God does, Jesus does this miracle of feeding 5,000 with just five loaves and two fish. And the next day, the crowds come because basically, they think they're going to get another free meal out of Jesus. And basically, Jesus says, that meal that I served you is a sign. And that sign represents the fact that I want to give you so much, something so much greater than just a free meal. 
because I am that bread from heaven. I am the spiritual nourishment that your soul is starving for. I am the bread of life. And then when we looked in John chapter 10, the previous chapter, we found that there was this man that was born blind. And so for pretty much his entire life, he became a beggar, begging for money at the temple. And Jesus cured him of his blindness. And rather than celebrating this miracle that had taken place, the Pharisees are angry because he did this on the Sabbath. And on top of that, they try to get the blind man to lie and to turn on Jesus and to bear false witness in order to accuse Jesus. And the blind man refuses to do this. And so they curse him and they cast him out of the synagogue. They, in essence, excommunicate him. And it is in that story that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I, as your leader, will not treat you like that. I do not abuse or use those who are under my care. But I love them and I care for them. And I will even lay down my life for them in my service to them. So for this Easter morning, we turn to this final statement of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. And the big question is, well, what does that mean? Well, just as we did with those other statements, we need to see the story within which Jesus made that claim to understand what he is trying to say. And that story is the story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. I'm a bit distracted because I feel like if I step back too far, I'm going to fall into this baptistry. And so it's a kind of a distraction here. So if you see me heading in that way, would you just wave your hand and warn me so that I don't get wet before the right time, okay? All right. Anyway, get that out of the way. Um, so there's this story about how Jesus raises this man named Lazarus from the dead. Martha. Mary and Lazarus are all siblings. They're brothers and sisters from one family. And it is clear that Jesus had a special relationship with them. In other words, they were not just his followers. They were his friends. And you get the sense that he hung out with them. He shared meals with them. Whenever he was passing through that area of Israel, you got the sense that he stayed at their home. And this is very fascinating but small window into the private life of Jesus and his friendships that the truth is, for the rest of the Gospels, you don't really get much of, but it just kind of gives you this behind-the-scenes picture of what Jesus' private life must have been like. But it is precisely this closeness with these people that causes so much of the confusion of the situation that unfolds in this story. Because Lazarus has died and Jesus does nothing about it. He wasn't there to help. In fact, Mary and Martha, the sisters, send a message to Jesus and say, this is desperate. Lord, the one you love is sick. But Jesus, when he gets this message, seems to have no urgency about it at all. In fact, he waits around two more days before even starting on the journey to go to Bethany, the town where Lazarus is. And so by the time that Jesus arrives in Bethany, Lazarus has already been dead for four days. And so we find these words of Martha in John 11, verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Later on, when he talks to Mary, the sister, she says almost the exact same things to him in verse 32. 
When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But there's actually one more statement made by the mourners who are there to support this family. And I think their last statement best explains the disappointment and confusion that everyone felt at the failure of Jesus to show up on time. Verses 33 to 37, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Because very recently, many of them had witnessed Jesus heal this blind man who was just nothing more than an anonymous beggar at the temple, a total stranger to Jesus. But Lazarus was a close friend. And his sisters had even reached out to him and prompted him and said, if you can do anything, come and help immediately. And Jesus didn't come. And Lazarus died. And the mourners see Jesus weeping, and it's clear how much Jesus loved this man and how much he cared about this family. And so it just raises the confusion to say why this blind man was helped, but Lazarus was not, when Lazarus was a friend. It didn't make any sense to anyone. And I think the truth is, it's the confusion that all of us experience even to this very day. If Jesus is really in control of things, if he really cares about me, then why do these bad things happen in my life? Why doesn't God prevent these things? Why doesn't he help me when I pray to him and get me out of these struggles? I'll share a brief story here. When I was in third grade, I was trying to read the, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. That's what I look like then. Um, I couldn't read the board, and my third grade teacher got concerned. She sent me to the nurse. The nurse did an eye test, called my mom, and said, your son cannot see. I was only in third grade. I think that's about fifth grade, though, by then. And so I went to the eye doctor, and sure enough, I got my first pair of glasses. And I was devastated as a third grader. And I still remember going to church the very next Sunday after I got those glasses. And normally after church, all the kids in Sunday school play outside in the parking lot and we have all this fun. But I didn't play with the other kids. I just started walking, moping around the property of the church. And I was praying the whole time. And I remember telling God, God, if you only heal my vision, I will serve you all of my life. I will go to church every Sunday. And this was the sincerest prayer I had ever prayed up to that point in my life. And I remember thinking, why wouldn't God do this? Why wouldn't God answer this? Why wouldn't he heal my vision? And he didn't heal my vision. Context had not been invented yet. But that's what I'm wearing to this day. I think that's how Mary and Martha felt. And I think that's how many of us have felt. That's a silly story. But I know some of you have had a lot more desperate prayers than I have. 
And the question is, why doesn't Jesus step in? Why is it that he just weeps with us in our time of grief? And I think what Jesus is saying is, there is a hope and a promise that is to come, but it is not now. It is not yet. And that's why that is not the end of the story of Lazarus. Jesus told Martha, uh, Martha uh, that her brother will rise again. And Martha's confused. She's not sure what's going on. She goes, yeah, I know in the general resurrection at the end of history, yeah, I, I believe he's going to rise again. And so Jesus says in verse 25 to 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And then Jesus does something that none of them expected. In verses 38 to 40, Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But, the Lord, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. But then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. To show what he meant when he said he was the resurrection and the life, Jesus performs this miracle of bringing Lazarus back from the dead. And this is what I want to say, though, about this miracle. Is as amazing as this miracle was, it is important to understand that it was only a sign that pointed ultimately to the resurrection that Jesus himself was going to experience in his own death. Because Lazarus was brought back from the dead, but the life that he was given by Jesus was still a mortal life. Lazarus would die again. He would once again experience death. It's interesting that when Lazarus rises from the dead, he, he comes out basically looking like a mummy. Because that's how the Jews buried the dead in that time. They would completely wrap them up in what looked like these bandages. And so when he's coming out, the truth is his arms and his legs would have been probably completely restricted. So if you could almost imagine what that scene was like, he probably almost had to hop his way out of that cave. And that's why one of the first things that Jesus says is set the guy free, you know, so that he could actually move around. A little while later, Jesus himself would be put to death. And he, three days later, would rise from the dead on the very first Easter. And when the women tell the disciples that the tomb is empty, Peter and John run to the tomb. And there is this very interesting detail that we're given when they get to the tomb that's totally different than what happened with the resurrection of Lazarus. Because we're told, and it's hard to tell by the English translation, but if you look at the original Greek, what it seems to be is that the burial cloths of Jesus have been neatly folded and placed on the place 
where his body was. His resurrection was not like the resurrection of Lazarus. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose into his glorified spiritual body that would never, ever taste death again. And that's why he materialized in closed rooms. And though he had a physical body and he could eat and he could be touched, he nevertheless had a body unlike any of ours. And this is what Paul says about that resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19 to 23. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. When Paul says that the resurrection of Jesus is the first fruits of our resurrection, what it means is that when a farmer sees the very first of his crop ripening, he picks it and he knows from that first fruit what the rest of the harvest is going to be like when it all comes due. And what Paul is saying is in the same way, when we saw the risen Jesus, it gives us a foretaste of what our resurrection bodies are going to be like one day when Jesus comes to take all of those who are his. And that is our hope of why we celebrate Easter is that we no longer have to fear the threat of death. That we can know what it is to live in this eternal life. In that verse that we looked at a little earlier in verses 25 to 26, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I think what Jesus is saying when he says that you will never die is this, that the eternal life that he promises us is not just about when we die, we know we're going to go to heaven. But he says that it is the kind of life that we can experience in the immediate moment, the moment we believe in Jesus. And that's not just when I die, I go to heaven. What that's saying is in this moment when I believe in Jesus, I begin to experience this eternal life. I begin to experience the change that God can make in my life to help me become the person that he has always wanted me to be, to be more like him. And that is the life that Jesus promises to know a relationship with God in which every day he is transforming us to move us further and further away from our sin and more and more to be the kind of person that he desires us to be. And then when our life is finally over to say, because of that faith I have in Jesus, I no longer fear death. I can face my death with confidence that I know that I will be resurrected one day with him. And so let me just close with these final words of Paul to the Corinthians in chapter 15, starting in verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet, 
For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortal, with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Thank you.